So we're back to how to prosper and increase wealth. Part two. Um, I'm going to, I'm trying to go slow on this. I'm not going to be Dr. Mice tonight. Uh, last, last week I looked up at the clock and it was a quarter till nine. Usually I'm mindful on the clock and uh, uh, so I'll pay attention to the clock better this time. But if you remember the basis, there's two systems and I'm talking about both systems. One is the kingdom of the world. One is the kingdom of God. Uh, you can be wealthy in both systems. I recommend the kingdom of God because he adds no sorrow to it. That's actually a Bible verse. And uh, there's a lot of sorrow in making money the world's way. Now, the thing that you have to understand also is that God's not a counterfeiter. Uh, in the United States, he uses the U.S. dollar. You know, in Mexico, he uses the peso. Um, uh, Bangladesh, I got to put them in. He used the taka. I mean, that's so close to taco. It's got to be the best <laughs> money in the world. And um, but so, so God uses the natural. He just supernatural, supernaturals it. And so it can get confusing because when we look at doing different things, you could see, well, that, that's just natural stuff. And it's really hard to get people to understand the natural from the spiritual. Uh, they just think doing an activity is, uh, uh, many people think doing an activity, showing up is spiritual, but it's what we, it's our focus and what our heart is. Everything comes back to a heart issue, and I'm going to deal with that. So I want to recap some highlights, and I had a question from last week. And remember, I am fielding questions, so if you got a question, just raise your hand. Uh, did you get a, uh, uh, I am fielding questions, and uh, uh, so if you have a question, if something's not clear, the, the question that came in is I said something, and uh, this one doesn't have a, is it red? It don't look red. He's got the red. Uh, I'm going to give one to Tammy because she's going to read the scriptures from me. Uh, this is the one with no tape. Is that fine? It's blue? Okay. I'm not good with colors, but all right. And um, so um, uh, I want you to ask questions. Uh, the language of money is a very common language to me, and I can say something and think everybody understands it. And, uh, um, and they don't. And that's fine. I get that. I just don't know the words that are not understood. So ask the questions and I'll, I'll elaborate on them. So we're going to uh, just recapping. One of the things I dealt with last time was thinking and behavior. Uh, be, our behavior is driven by our thinking. And everybody has thoughts towards money. Uh, it's, it's really amazing to me because I'm like an extremely logical person. And if I have thoughts on money and I have no money, I say, gee, David, your thoughts must be dumb. People don't do that. Can you tell? <laughs> if it's not working, I'm missing something. Um, that's going to be the hardest thing throughout this whole series is to get people to see what I'm talking about because it violates what you think. You and I were taught money from somebody. And uh, we have to look back and say, how much money did they have? How, how well did it work for them? Because if they just live paycheck to paycheck, I don't want to live that way. I've lived that way. I've, I've been in places where I didn't want the phone to ring because I knew I was late. Y'all probably never been there before, right? Uh, there, were, there, was ten, you know, there used to be phones with no caller ID on it, and you didn't know who was on the other end. It could be Grandma. It could be Chase, you know? And, uh, um, you, you just, so, so we're done a lot with behavior and thinking, so I want to challenge you to, to listen to the information and, and adjust your thinking and, and realize some things that you may not know. We talked about God's view of prosperity versus prosperity message. Um, I didn't really bring up the prosperity message, but I want to add that in here. God's view of pro prosperity, God's rich. Go to heaven. Streets of gold, really? 
Walls of Jasper? There's nothing broke about God. Everything with Adam, he, uh, not Adam, Abraham, he was rich in cattle, gold, and silver. So he's rich in the natural things, what we would call assets, and uh, uh, he owned them. Solomon, Solomon piled silver in the backyard because he had so much. Uh, everything about God is wealth-oriented. Now, there's a, there's a, a thing going around that the anti-prosperity message that, oh, that's a prosperity message, you must be a cult or something like that. But, but stop and think about the devil. If God is about having more than enough, now prosperity is defined differently uh, because uh, as we can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that we should have all sufficiency in all things that we may abound to every good work. That is a prosperity statement. It is not a money statement. So God did not promise to, be, to make you a billionaire, a trillionaire, or, or anything like that. He says you can have more than enough. Well, if all you're going to do is show up for church and put $10 in the plate, all you need is 11 bucks. <laughs> you, you, you can stop at A&PM on the way home and get a, a large Coke. You know, and you had more than enough. You gave them the offering and you got something to drink. But if you want to fund the world, if you want to fund missions, it's going to take more. So, so you have to not think in terms of how much money, even though a balance sheet will show us kind of a, a, a measuring point. We, we need to have more than enough. God wants us to have more than enough. Never in the offerings are, are we to go broke giving to God. It's not his system. Uh, but, and you shouldn't give beyond your faith. That's why in the offerings in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, as every man purposes in his heart, so let him give. Now, you do have to pay attention to the greed factor because you and I, from the natural standpoint, will purpose low. Yeah. Because if I, pur I, hey, I'm purposing, but the lower I purpose, the more I have for me. There's a greed factor in that. That's why you've heard me say, if you've been with me the length of time, my goal is that we give 51% of our uh, taxable income. Well, at 51%, you know, if you think about it in a corporation standpoint, most people will retain 51% of the shares so they can control the votes. All right? I want to give the vote to God that I give away more than what I take in. Now, this is not Bible. This is David. I'm not, I'm not telling people to do this. I'm telling you my psychology behind how I give. Now, the things I talk about in giving... Uh, well, just from that statement that my goal is to get to 51, you know that we give a lot as a percentage to our income. But not only that, we bank at Christian Community Bank. And you know what? My, I was going to bring my ATM card in here, but, but I didn't. But you know what it says on, on the front of my ATM card? Gives to missions. Because, see, Christian Community Credit Union, which they don't have one here. A lot of people say, oh, I don't want to do that. There's no bank here that I can walk into. Okay, who cares? I never walk in there anyway. Uh, if I've got uh, three times I think I've needed to deposit a check inside of a bank, I can go to Valley Oak Credit Union and they transfer it into the account. But uh, I believe the, the governing organization of a Christian community is the Baptist. But from their, their nonprofit and from the, the money they make, they give into missions. So even in my just banking, mm -hmm. I'm giving to missions. Yeah. That's why I talk. So I, I believe in missions. I believe that the giving has opened. I believe our wealth has come from our giving and that this is a very big thing. So God's view of prosperity is not what people are calling the prosperity. It's not just to get rich so you can get rich so that you can drive a fancier car. God doesn't care what kind of car you drive as long as your heart stays right in the whole process. But 
the reason for getting rich is not so that we can just constantly upgrade cars or, or you know, go on vacations. God doesn't care if you go on vacation. Keep the balance in here. God wants us to have more than enough. He put, he, he's given us this life to enjoy. We should enjoy in the pursuit of Him. So we talked about God's view of prosperity. Uh, we talked about the comfort zone that moved out to the fear zone, that moved out to the learning zone, that moved out to the growth zone. Uh, most people are living in their comfort zone. Let me go out of money for a minute and just go into the Christian life of faith. Most people are living in the comfort zone. They, that, that next step out of the comfort zone is the fear zone. Because you, know, you haven't operated. I, I always tell the story, first time I went to Africa, uh, to the country of Kenya, uh, I was meeting Pastor Harbaum there. I'd, meet, I'd met Pastor Harbaum in July of 1999. I went to uh, Kenya with him in September of uh, 2020. I had seen his face only the three days that he was here in July in 1999. And then, what is that, like 12, 13, 14 months later, 15 months later, I was meeting him in uh, Kenya. Now, in Kenya, we landed at the airport, and that was a little bit different experience. I got out, people standing around with AK-47s. Uh, you don't walk from the air, uh, airplane into the airport. You walk across the, the tarmac. You, they land out there, park it, and you get out, and you walk, you know, hoof it to the terminal. And there's, there's military standing all over the place, you know, so you're looking around. Uh, you go into a building that has no air conditioning. Uh, it's a little bit warmer in Africa than it typically is here. And uh, so you could tell when you were getting to the front door because they're starting to get some air in there. And uh, there's this whole uh, welcoming party for us. They all knew Pastor Harbaum. I had known him for 14 months, had seen him for three days. Now we're on the, the fourth day or the fifth day, you know, in travels. And uh, so they've got a little pickup. You remember those like little Toyota pickups that used, we used to have around here? They had something like that, that about that size. And they graciously uh, uh, led me out to the back of the truck where I sat in the bed. And we took off. And so we were leaving the airport. We went out of the airport and uh, we went around a roundabout and went this way, went around a roundabout, went this way, went around. About the third roundabout and the lack of lights on the streets. I had, it was 11 o'clock at night, almost midnight. You can't see. Yeah. I don't even, we, those roundabouts got me so disoriented. I didn't know which way the airport was. <laughs> then I started thinking, I don't know this white man sitting up here. <laughs> and I'm like, God. I need you to protect me. The fear zone. I'm like so out of my, my element. But then the second time I went to Africa, it, I knew the process. It didn't bother me. And, um, and so uh, uh, the fear zone is a, is, a, is a place that you've got to conquer fear. There is no fear in love. And once we really get a hold of the Lordship of Jesus, that fear zone's nothing. But, but it's a real thing, but it can be nothing. And so our ability to move forward, what are some of the things money-wise that keep us? Oh, I couldn't afford to do that. Wait a minute. Let's just explore that for a minute. Are you God's child? Did Jesus say he made you a joint heir? How can you not afford something? Because the reality of the cash that we have right now is, is more real to us than the reality of what God gave us. And I've said it many times that as you move forward in something, it's amazing how things start coming together. So you, fear keeps us in that comfort zone, and we've got to move out of it. Once we get past the, the fear, now, now it's just a learning process. I've got to learn something. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Um, I talked about the two systems. There's only two systems. This is not complex. There's only two systems. They both operate under a kingdom. 
Uh, a kingdom operates, in fact, uh, Ralph read a definition on that. A kingdom operates by order of the king or queen. And uh, uh, in fact, I think I got a definition up here from uh, more of a dictionary. No, no. Uh, more of a dictionary uh, definition. But there's only two systems. You're either operating under the monetary system of uh, the kingdom of God or you're under, operating under the monetary system of the kingdom of war, the world. I, I will be honest with you. I think it's a very high percentage that Christians are still operating under the kingdom of the world uh, because they're trying to make their, their, even their giving in the kingdom of God function from a natural environment. Because um, it, it's very easy to cross that line if you're not paying attention to what you do. So stop thinking about Satan's tactics for just a minute. Prosperity message. Wouldn't it be a great thing on Satan if God is all about wealth and everything he ever did in the wealth? Wouldn't it be a great thing to get people ticked off about uh, being prosperous? Now stop thinking about it. Isn't that stupid? Because the same person that's mad and said, oh, that's a prosperity message. It can't be God is out trying to figure out how to make more money so they can live. But what if, what if we had faith in a God that was prosperous and wanted his children blessed so that people could see his glory through them? Uh, how, how much more powerful could their life be if they didn't have this mental block? It's probably a pretty good uh, thing. What if, what if Satan came along and said, well, tithes and offerings is the, uh, I, I showed it last week that both the natural system and God's system has a tax. In the New Testament, it's called, uh, or in the, the Bible, it's called tithes and offerings. Uh, in the world, it's just called a tax. And, uh, but what if Satan came along and said, well, well, that doesn't apply to you. That's Old Testament. Because, I, you know, Ralph's given a lot of testimonies, and I've given a lot of testimonies. Other people have given testimony. Tithes and offerings work. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people against it. I understand that. Uh, only 2% of the people that confess to be Christians actually tithe biblically. And uh, that, that would be a tenth of increase. Um, but uh, I, I remember I was talking to somebody one time. They said, oh, yeah, we tithe. Uh, we just gave a, a washer and a dryer to an elderly person that didn't have one. And that's what we used our tithe on. So, well, that's really nice, but that's benevolence. He that has pity on the poor, God will repay them. So they can expect whatever they spent on that to come back to them, but it's not a tithe. God's very specific on what a tithe is, what the, the benefits of tithing are, what an offering is, what the benefits of offering are. And uh, even with the, the rich young ruler that uh, Ralph read about, uh, based on the, the scripture I just quoted, that he told, Jesus told him, Saul, if you have him, give it to the poor. He wasn't trying to make or give it to, give it to the poor. He wasn't trying to make him poor. Because the Bible says, he that has pity on the poor, God will repay them. He would get it all back. God just, or Jesus just needed to, to detach the reins of his heart to money. And so uh, what, what a tactic. And then uh, to have a confidence in the mammon system. Most Christians have more confidence in the mammon system than what uh, they have in God's system. They work differently. They overlap. God uses the natural, but then he supernaturals it. So uh, that kind of brings us up to date on what I dealt with. And so here was a question from last week from based what, uh, on what I was saying. And I'm sorry I put smaller font. I thought that was a font that I used, uh, which seemed to be bigger last uh, week, but it's uh, a little bit. Can you guys read it okay? Yeah. Okay, and the question was about, because I mentioned savings accounts and I miss, mentioned money markets account. One of the things that I mentioned was money flows to where it's treated best. OK, uh, in, in people who have money, they are not uh, they are they are not going to leave their money where it's treated bad. Things ebb and flow here. Not too long ago, CDs were paying more than money markets. Right now, uh, a money market is more attractive than a CD. 
Okay, but uh, both say this is a definition of the difference between savings accounts and money market accounts. Both savings accounts and money market accounts allow you to deposit money and earn interest. Unlike savings accounts, however, money market accounts often come with a transactional feature, such as the ability to write a, a limited number of checks and make bill payments each month. Okay, translation. A money market account is a glorified savings account that looks like a checking account. Okay, it's just not, you're not gonna write a $1.50 check on a money market account. A lot of times they'll have limits on them, minimum check 500. They don't want it to be a checking account like historically has been a checking account where you're writing a check for everything, but you can make transactions and they're, they're starting to add more checking features. But now let me show you the difference between them. Okay, this is Chase Bank. I looked up their savings account and I just did this based on, if you put $1,000 in a Chase um, bank here in Visalia. I looked it up on today. It has a $5 monthly fee. It's waived with a minimum balance. I believe their minimum balance was $2,500 if I remember correctly. And it earns 0.01%. The premium savings earns 0.02%. Okay. Now I know a lot of people aren't good with percentages, but I'm going to break that down. So I also checked Wells Fargo Bank, two of the biggest banks in Visalia. Wells Fargo, the fee is 12 to $15 per month. It's waived again with a minimum balance and it earns 0.15, okay, percent. Now, let's look and see what happens. Potential earnings per year, one to $2, 0.01%, you would earn $1 in a year based on a 0.01% saving, uh, savings rate. At 0.02, you would double your money and have $2, but it's going to cost you 60 to $180 in fees per year. How great is that savings account? But do you know how many, how many people keep their money in a, in a banks and any bank here in town, just, you know, like your regular banks and even probably your savings or not your savings, your uh, credit unions, credit unions probably pay just a tad more, but people leave their money in banks and that's what they're, that's what they're earning. You should put your money where it's treated best. So right now, money market accounts uh, treat better. So I use Wealthfront uh, Money Market. It's paying 4.8% with no fees. So number one with the no fees, it's automatically better. And on the same $1,000 deposit, you would earn $48. Okay, so you can see how, how much better it is to have your money in a money market account versus a savings account. So the interest, what interest is, is going to be the same. It's just the percentage of interest that's going to be paid on the money. But what happens is most people don't want to, uh, they don't want to do what it takes to find the best place for their money. So in wealth circles, money goes to where it is, it is treated best, meaning money is always moving. For most people, money is kept where it is convenient. So you take these things like right now, like Cash App, Zelle, uh, Venmo, um, I don't know, is there any, those are the ones I know. Uh, how much money do they pay you to keep your money in there? But it's convenient, right? Because I can move it from here to there to there to here, but I, I, they may have some way to, because uh, I don't use them to keep money in, but uh, uh, a lot of people will keep money in there because it's easy access. But you should look at what you're doing is how is it creating wealth for you? And this is the difference typically from people that have money versus people that don't have money, they don't want any asset or anything of value to be sitting doing nothing 
especially losing money. Now, uh, read Proverbs 27, uh, 23, and 24. Be diligent to know the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. For riches, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Okay, so it says here that you need to pay attention to your flocks. Now, you probably don't, you know, the Old Testament, they had cattle, they had flocks and different things like that. You don't just get a bunch of cattle, stick them out in the field and hope they're okay. Just pay attention to them. See if they're sick. See if they're eating enough. See if, you know, pay attention. If you watch Shark Tank, anybody ever heard of Shark Tank? What happens if you don't know your numbers? Oh, they will rip you apart because you have to know your numbers. So let me ask you this. Do you know your numbers of your life? Do you know how much money you have? Well, yeah, I think I got $123. You should know your numbers. What is your, is your money making anything? Are you doing with it? Do you have money just sitting idle? Go ahead. Okay, um, so you have to have a thousand dollars. No, I just did that as an example. Oh, okay. What's the? Can I? For ask a money market account, I think it's. Do you remember what it was? Twenty-five bucks, fifty bucks, something like that. Uh, it, it's very low. Most places have a minimum balance. It's usually like around twenty-five bucks or something like that. So it's not a lot. I just did a thousand dollars just to make the math easy easy because it had a lot of zeros on it. Um, did you raise your hand, Juan? Hmm. All right. So. Uh, know this, this is the Bible. Know the condition of your flocks. Know what your money is making. I have no problem moving money because different things pay differently all the time. People don't like to have to do stuff. And well, let me say it this way. Middle class and down don't like to have to do stuff. Oh, it's just fine. I've banked with them forever, but they're not treating you right. Change banks. Oh, do you know how long that takes? Yeah, probably about an hour. There was a guy standing out on Mooney Boulevard not too long ago. I had money in, in CCC, you know, uh, EECU, and this guy on the, the thing had a sign up, open account today, $200. Well, I didn't like EECU anyway. So I pulled in, opened the account, transferred my money from EECU, and they gave me $200 for an hour's work. I don't know, do you make $200 an hour at your job? No, but we'll go to a job and make $16 or $20, but we won't change a, uh, an account over to make 200 I got a thing in the mail the, just the other day that if I transfer my account to Chase, uh, they'll pay me $900. I have a real big opposition to Chase, so I'm not going to do it just because of my principles. I don't like the bank. But, uh, man, if somebody's going to offer me something, yeah, <clears throat> I'll spend an hour with you. Know the state of your flocks. What are you getting on that? <coughs> what is the purpose that you bought this asset? How are you using it? Th th this is a Bible principle that uh, when you come into, God wants you and me to be faithful with what he's given to us. And if we don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it, and believe me, there's a bunch of salesmen out there. I, here's what typically happens with me. Y'all are blessed that you have a pastor that understands some of this stuff. Y'all are crazy to not ask me because most people that ask me questions about things is after they spent the money and it's not working out the way the person said, because see, everybody is a, a, a salesman. Whoever sold you that idea, they're making money. I don't care if they're an attorney or, or what. 
they're, they're making money off it and they live based on you buying. But it may not be good for you or it may not be right for you. I'm not hard to get a hold of. Ask me. If I don't know the answer, I'm not going to try to make myself look smart. I will tell you on this, I don't know the answer uh, on it. That I don't know. But I, I do have a good working knowledge of a lot of stuff. So you should know it. Now, I ended here, and I want to come back here because, and this is not a, a beat up on everything. There's not a right and wrong on this. It just an is, and you should understand where you is, okay? Because on the left side, yes, on the left side is a very active participation. On the right side is a very passive participation. And if we understand the, the passive side, that means you don't have to show up at 9 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning and work for eight hours or if your boss tells you to stay later. So it's uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's uh, cash flow quadrant is what he calls it. Uh, he's got a whole book on it if you want to study it out. In the upper left-hand corner is the employee. That's where most people are. You have a job. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I just want you to understand the dynamics of it. You are taxed the highest. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that if you understand it, because you can do some things to lower your taxes in there. Uh, going straight down to self-employed, you own a job. Okay, we have some people, Juan owns a job. He has a pool service business. You got a pool, let him clean it for you. Uh, he does all that kind of stuff. He owns the job. Mom's a real estate agent. She owns the job, because even though she's connected to a brokerage, uh, she's, she's self-employed. Okay, there's nothing wrong with this. Uh, you know, your, your dentist down the street has his little building and it's one dentist in there and four or five hygienists and, you know, whatnot. He owns the job. He's, you can make really good money. The taxes are better on that because you can start shifting things uh, into the business and write off things that might be personal that you couldn't write off before. If you, you know, do a little bit of diligence to understand, get a good person, uh, do, you do your taxes. Hint, H&R uh, Block, Liberty. Uh, Hewitt Jackson, those are not good places to get your taxes done. Now, they can do your taxes if all you want is your taxes done, but really what you want is somebody who says, you know, if you did this and that, you could actually lower your taxes and do this. So you want somebody that just doesn't know how to do a tax form, but that can guide you in it. Go up to the uh, upper right uh, is a business. Uh, you own a system that now works for you. So uh, Sam Walton started Walmart. He started a large business. He, he got to a point he didn't work in the business, but the business worked for him. Dave Thomas started Wendy's, and uh, same thing. He got a franchise thing going, and the business started working for him. Uh, it's taxed totally different because it's typically, you're, you're typically double taxed on that because you're taxed on the corporate side and you're when you take money out, unless you understand how to take money out. And then you can bypass it. This is where you might remember in somebody's tax bill, Warren Buffett said that, uh, my secretary pays as much taxes as I do. Uh, that shouldn't be the case. He's the richest man on earth. Well, it was a really erroneous statement because he's talking about two different taxes because he, he wasn't an employee and his uh, secretary was an employee. Uh, then the last one, the I, is an investor. Money starts working for you. Now, the great thing about investments is if you're an E, you can do investments that, are, that is adding to your income and or creating uh, offsetting uh, taxes. So like, I like rentals. In a rental, you can depreciate the, the, the house, which 
uh, without getting into complex math or anything like that, you have the value of the house. Let me just use simple numbers. Let's say it's worth $100,000. The land is worth 20, so $80,000. You divide that by 27 and a half, and every year you can take that off as an expense. Well, that expense comes off your E. So whatever that number is, you just lowered your taxable income on the E side. So, so you can do things if you understand it to, make, to offset the highest earned taxes that you have. All right, so now here's the, the benefit of it. On the employed side, you exchange your time and effort for income. You don't work, you don't get paid because you're getting paid by the hour. Now, I'm not talking about if you get earned vacation, you know, they give you 10 days vacation, you'll still get paid on stuff like that. But basically, when you're an employee, you only get paid when you work, the number of hours. If you work overtime, you'll make more money. Um, if you knock down to four days a week, you're gonna make less money. On the self-employed, you work for yourself, but can you take a six-week holiday from your business and the business keeps going without you? Well. That starts getting hard depending on what the, the business is, but uh, you, you might have a little bit more flexibility, but if you're not running the business, you might not be making money, you know, depending on what, uh, you know, what's going on in it. On the B, these people have people working hard for them to generate them an income. Now, what category are the people who are working hard for them? What would they be in? They'd be in the E's. They have employees, all right? And so they have employees generating enough money that they can live off of it and it's paying them. But investors, they are people that have money working hard for them. So they play golf and, and live the good life is what he put it there. Now, stop and think about it. If you had a house, rental house, that made $500 a month, well, you can't live off $500 a month until maybe you had 10 houses. Now you have $5,000 a month. See, if, if you start building assets that produce income, you start replacing your E that you have to work. Now, how, how hard or how many hours a day does a, a rental house work? 24 hours a day. Because every month you collect the rent for all the time that, you know, for this month coming up, it's going to be used. And uh, so every month it pays that. Uh, you know, people a lot of times will focus, oh, yeah, but renters, they break things and they move out. Okay, that's part of the business, but there's way to, ways to mitigate that and, and to keep it flowing. So now think about this in God's system. Which one would be the best way? Child of God, God wants to use you. He wants you to do things. Which one would be the best one to be in? The investor because I'm not locked into a time. Now, I'm not saying any of them are bad. You just got to understand the dynamics. But if I can build investments that generate enough money that I don't have to show up and God tells me to go to India because he wants me to talk to somebody, I don't have to ask a boss for a time off. And when I leave, I still have money coming in. Now, I know that sounds grandiose, but we can all start where we're at. There's stocks that pay dividends. There's, there's income things that we can do that don't require us showing up to do. We can own a business and hire a manager. Uh, you can buy a, a, one of these storage units, which, man, storage units, they're, they're like all full. I mean, you're, we got a storage unit the other day. I walked in, and uh, the guy asked me, he said, are you the guy that called? I said, no, I just need a this by this. Uh, and he says, I've only got one, one unit open. 
uh, out of all these units, and it's of this size. I said, well, take me back there and let me look at it. And so I videoed it with Peter. We had some things from the thrift store that we had to hold on to. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll take it. He says, all right. He says, you got it. And we were walking back up to the office. And he says, that's, that's my last one. And he says, you wouldn't walked in right now? He says, I had a guy call me. They said he was coming down. So I'm filling out the paperwork. The, the uh, ringer on the door opens. And the guy says, I called you? He says, I just rented it. Oh, man, he says, nobody has them. They make good money. And uh, hire a manager, buy one, hire a manager that lives there, pull in the money, pay the manager. See, those are things that, pe- there's, there's a lot of things that people can do, but they don't think about it. So now let me back off again. And remember, I talked about the, the property that I bought in Idaho. And I talked about the tax, the reasons why I wanted a property in Idaho. Um, the market's strong there. Uh, I say, well, why didn't you buy the, the property in Utah? Because the real estate market was st- is stronger in the uh, Idaho. Do you guys know why the mar- real estate market is stronger in Idaho? People are moving there from California. <laughs> and there's a shortage of housing. So it's easier to keep a place rented when there's a shortage. Right? Okay, but when I bought it, so, so there's tax rates. So like if, I, if we go to Idaho <laughs> to look at the house, we happen to go by, drive right through where her family lives. Oh, gee. Let's stop and have dinner in our tax-deductible trip. What if you like going to Branson, Missouri every year or, or Orlando, Florida? What if you bought a rental near where you liked going? Now what happened? Your, your expenses in the I quadrant is going to, to create a loss or a greater expense to bring down income or create a loss that you can offset in the E. What am I talking about? How we think about things. So I bought this thing, and I bought it as a partnership with myself. <laughs> so how did I buy it as a partnership with myself? My Roth IRA owns 11% of it. And then we own the other 89%. So now when the rents come in, 11% of the, and the reason it's 11, because that's all the money I had available in the IRA, but uh, 11% of the rents will go into the IRA, which accumulates tax-free. I don't like paying taxes. So on the 89%, I can depreciate it against income. On the 11%, it's growing tax-free. Now, guess what? All it, there's only, it's a one word. There's only one thing that it took to be able to set this up. Knowledge. Once you get out of the comfort zone, get through the fear zone, it's just learning something. Now, was it easy for me? No. And I, there was people that, you know, through my IRA and stuff like that that helped me and showed me what to do and, and created the paperwork. But I, I was learning as I was buying it. Because I knew how to buy a house like everybody else knows how to buy a house. Well, not really. I, I do some things that are a little bit different. Um, and, um, but but basically the standard way of buying houses. And so, uh, so, but I decided to get a little bit of knowledge. And, and so I put that together. So now what I, will, what I will be doing, I don't know how long I'll own the property, but at, let's just say $100 of the rent is 11%. I don't know what it is, I didn't figure out. But now my Roth will grow $100 a month, $1,200 a year. It's not part of my contribution because you can only put, what is it, $6,500, $7,500 a year into it. It's not part of that. It is part of growth within the IRA. 
so it's not it's not taxable. And uh, um, and so again, what am I talking about? I'm an employee. I work for the church. Okay, I, that's now it's not the highest tax for me because there's clergy benefits under the IRS code that I took advantage of. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I, I'm, I'm taking something and moving over there all because I'm willing to take time to learn how the system works. Go ahead. For the 11%, do you have it going directly? Um, you have to. Well, yeah, you have to, but do you have like in a separate account then where your, your rent's going to? So it's pulled from there, the 11%? Yeah, actually, because it's in Idaho, I can't manage it. So I have a management company manage it, and they split the rents out, and it goes... Part of it comes to me, part of it goes into the IRA. Why can't you manage it? Because there are laws there? No, because I live in California. Oh, I didn't know you couldn't manage your own property. Out oh, of you can. It's just physically, it's impossible. Uh, they need something fixed. I got to figure out somebody who can go over there where a management company would just take care of it. It's, it's just an ease factor. And you can write off the management. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an expense to it also. Absolutely. All right. Any questions so far? Any other questions? No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's Simone. Talk in the microphone there. And really, while you're getting ready, uh, really, remember what I'm not talking about you going out and buying something like I did. I'm talking about how you think. Because, because to even walk in the kingdom of God, you have to think differently. Go ahead. It doesn't matter. It's just money. It doesn't matter what your state of life is. I know, but how, as a retired person, can you make money? Absolutely. Why, why wouldn't you? I mean, I don't understand the thought process. Why do you think you couldn't make money? Because you, um, you're just getting an amount every month. That is just that amount. It's not going to change unless the government wants to give you more. You're talking about Social Security? Yeah. Okay, but I haven't mentioned anything about Social Security. I've talked about how, how do we take, you know, uh, Ralph pulled out a dollar bill. Well, there he is right there. I uh, pulled out a dollar bill. I don't have any dollar bills on me. I got <laughs> keys and some mints. Um, but uh, everybody has dollar bills. What I'm talking about is how do you make that dollar bill $5 bills? How, how do you get the money working for you? Anybody can do that. That's what you're doing on your CD. Yeah, you have money yeah, in CDs, so it's paying you money. No, it's the same thing. No, so the same no. thing like that I talked about with uh, savings accounts. No, that's not what I meant. My oh. CD don't come from my Social Security. I know it because I'm not talking about Social Security. So you may have a Social Security income. Rock on. Use it to build an asset with it. That's what I was asking. How much could you use of it? Because well, that's going to depend on every person because let's say a person was getting $1,000 a month uh, Social Security and one person had a house payment of 200 and another person had a house payment of 500. There's different dynamics that are involved and we'll get into budging in another one. But really all I'm talking about is everybody has a coin in their pocket. You know, we, we've got some, some people can start off with $10, some people can start off with 100, some people can start off with 10,000. Uh, it doesn't matter is how do you put your money to work? So would it be better to put it in stocks? Well, I'm not, I can't give financial advice like on what, for, what people are supposed to do uh, because you need a license for that. And I don't have, uh, I used to have a, a securities license, but I let it go because I didn't like it. And um, 
but everybody's different and everybody's at a different stage. Now, if somebody wants to, to meet with me and kind of go over some particulars, I could give some ideas or whatnot, but I, I can't give uh, like stock advice or, or anything like that. There, there's always good deals. A lot of people try to jump in things because, oh man, we got to get in on this. This thing's going to explode. There's always something that's going to go up. There's always something that can go is going to go down. You can make just as much money on things going down as you can make on things going up. Yeah. What I'm talking about, which this question leads into it, is we have this box that we think in. So, so I'll use the Social Security. Well, all I have is Social Security. Well, is that money? Okay, so what, what, what's the conversation? But it's coming from Social Security. Well, it doesn't matter if it's coming from Social Security, Walmart, Quia Delta. It doesn't matter where the money's coming from. It's what are you going to do with your money? And that's what I'm talking about is how we think about money and what we're going to do it. Most people, the statistics are really high. If you get $100, $200 raise per month, you're going to increase your living. Uh, within six months, you will have it and you'll be living at the max again. But what if you changed? What if, you know, we, we live at a maximum number. What if we taught our kids to live off 50% of whatever they make when they're getting an allowance? Okay, you're getting $20 this week. $10 is going to go into an investment, and you can, you can live off the other $10. If you teach them right, you'll tell them to tithe, uh, which is $2. Takes them down to $18. You put uh, $10 in a... Uh, um, some kind of investment, even if you just start off with a savings account, something where it earns some money. And the idea is that as they grow their income, they stay in the 50% bracket. Well, you know, eventually they're going to be very, very rich because they've learned to, they're going to have, the assets are going to produce something, even though it's nickel and dimes in the beginning. If you could take your current income right now, which probably most people can't, and put 50% of it into buying assets, don't you think in 10 years you would have a good asset base that's producing income for you? It's just we've lived up to the total of our income. So we, we have to figure out different ways to do it. But hey, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. All right. Uh, I like a lot of Robert Kiyosaki's quotes, so I got several of them in here. The truth is that money doesn't make you rich. Knowledge does. And this is what I'm talking about is how we think about money. But let me go back into the out of money and just talk about the things of God. This is why people struggle with making faith work, walking in the things of God, is because they, they don't increase their knowledge on how it works. This is where I talk about people dumb the Word of God down to fit what they're doing to justify where they're at. But God wants us to bring us up to this realm where we're living above what everybody else is doing. So that knowledge becomes very important. Read Hosea 4, uh, 6, and then the first sentence in 7. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Hang on. Who did he say is destroyed for a lack of knowledge? My people. You know who he's talking about? Me. So if you don't understand or you have a lack of knowledge how money works, you will set your own life up for destruction. Uh, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will hey, also hang reject on. thee. Why would he say thou hast rejected knowledge? We don't do what it takes. Uh, going back to Robert Kiyosaki, who started, uh, he was homeless at one point. Him and his wife, I uh, can't think of her name, because um, uh, she's just as active in financial things as he is now, living in their car, 
trying to get things going. Now he's very, 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 very rich. But what he did was gain knowledge. He has a book out called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you've never read it, I'd highly recommend reading it. And basically what it was is his father, his biological father, was the superintendent of schools for the state of Hawaii. He was um, a very educated man, thought like everybody else thought, and died broke. His best friend's dad was an entrepreneur, bought, bought a hotel right on the beach at Waikiki, and, uh, uh, and would, he, uh, would talk to them about finances also. His dad gave him financial advice, his best friend's dad. And he compares the two, and really it's a great book on how people think, because his dad thought as school taught him, as business taught you know, you get a job, you get a check, and everything's going to be okay. And his um, uh, best friend's dad was in business and knew how to work money. And so he had this, this thing going on where he was trying to figure out how to, uh, how to make it work. Uh, anybody old enough that you remember those wallets that had like, they're like beach type wallets and they had like uh, Velcro, you remember that? He created that and started selling them in Hawaii, you know, got some money, bought a piece of real estate. And he kind of walks through his, uh, his journey on that very good book. Oh, did you finish reading? Because thou hast reject knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Okay, so what we learn in this, destruction comes from a lack of knowledge. That would be financial destruction also. Knowledge is very key. We, we, you, you can do this on natural knowledge, you can do this on biblical knowledge. But you have to have knowledge. Again, I would recommend the biblical knowledge. But the Bible tells destruction comes from a lack of knowledge. Uh, many reject knowledge on money. It doesn't interest me. Oh, I can't read that stuff. Oh, you're rejecting knowledge. I tell you, with YouTube now, there's all kinds of things. And, and you got to don't be sold into stuff, but learn how. Learn the language of money. Learn what they're talking about, the concepts. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do every one of them. But, uh, but, but feed your mind. I, I'm... How, how, Reva, how many times you walked in my office and I'm on a webinar? Because <laughs> I constantly listen to things, uh, both ministry, money, different things that I do. I'm constantly learning. In fact, uh, Saturday, I'm going to be on another one for four hours. And uh, it deals with real estate, but it's an area of real estate that I've never done before. And it sounds interesting. And so I don't know if I'll do it or not, but I'll spend the time to learn it. I'm sure I'll get something out of it. But see, a lot of people are unwilling to do that. They reject knowledge. Now, when we, when we reject knowledge, did that really say that, that God rejects us? If, now, the Bible, Jesus preached more on money than he did on love. And faith. Money's a big, if we reject the knowledge of how money, money works because of, you know, we're just not wired that way. In all honesty, I'm wired that way of thinking. It's easier for me. But uh, if, if we reject knowledge, God rejects us. Um, this, this is where I've come back and I've said before, you can, you can prove me wrong if you can find a scripture or wait till the rapture happens. I don't think there's going to be one non-tither in the rapture. I believe I can make a case on it. I wouldn't ever preach it. That's just David's opinion. But I bet you I could make it stand with more than two scriptures. Um, but why do people do it? Because they reject knowledge and they try to find what they want to understand. Uh, with increase, sin sits at the door. Now, 
There's a, it said that in increase. Uh, go back and read that part. The more they multiplied in numbers and increased in power, the more they sinned against me. Okay, so, so get the dynamic here. God wants to promote his people. But with promotion and increase comes the opportunity to sin. So in the realm of money, how could that be? Well, you make $100, you, you write out a $10 tithe check. Okay, it's 10 bucks. Uh, probably not going to think too much about it. But you, then you get to 1,000 and it's 100. It's a little bit harder. Then you get to 10,000 and it's 1,000. And a lot of, there's a point where we hit a number. It's like, wow, I'm giving a lot of money away. I should retain this. Or I've got a lot of money. I can go do this because I can afford to do it. It takes me away from the heart and the purposes and the plans of God. So it's, now God wants us to increase. We just have to understand the dynamics behind it that the more you increase, the more sin is going to crouch at your door. And, and that's another thing of, of why I want to give 51% is because I don't want it to be about me. Uh, the way I see it is if I'm always giving more than what I'm keeping, I'm going to keep greed out of the equation. And that's where, uh, uh, you know, uh, that comes in. Okay, there we go. Now, so there's a direct correlation also between how we handle money and the promotion we see from the Lord based on what he said. So if you start, I've talked about it, if you start studying out heaven, there are going to be those who reign, R-E-I-G-N, and those who serve in heaven. Now, hey, being in heaven is far better than being in hell, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll be the janitor of heaven uh, any day over going to hell. But I would rather reign. How I handle things on this earth is also going to qualify me for what I operate in in heaven, where my life is going to go. And so this is why Jesus talked about it so much. And so um, we, we need to understand that is how we're dealing with our money. And, and the real, the, it, it's on a real simple basis. It's really easy. And it's like, I don't understand why not. God wants us to have all, all sufficiency in all things. And we fight to keep a dollar bill. Uh, so that we can have a dollar bill. And God wants to get us to a place where we have more than a dollar bill, but we can't wrap our mind around it. And uh, so we struggle. I need to speed up. The rich, th this is a very powerful statement. The rich buy assets, the poor have expenses. The middle class buys liabilities they think are assets. Now, what would be a liability that the middle class think is an asset? Cars. Uh, you buy a car, it's really cool. Uh, you know what happens when you drive it off the lot? That's not an asset. Assets pay you. Assets, assets increase in value. So the middle class create liabilities, getting multiple cars, getting new cars, doing all this kind of stuff. What's another uh, liability that the middle class think is an asset? A Buying a home. Distinguish between a house because if it's a rental, it's an asset. Assets produce income. If you're, if you're a home buyer... Uh, it's costing you money. It's not paying you. You say, well, no, it increases in value. Well, are you planning on selling it? See, back in 2008-ish when, when uh, the market fell, housing prices fell, we had bought our house, and it was worth like $100,000 less than what we paid for it. And Tammy uh, came to me and she says, what are we going to do? This house is worth less than we own it. I said, do you want to move? No, I love the house. I said, who cares what it's worth? We're, bu we're buying a roof over our head. Now, if we sell the house, we're back into a positive position now. But if we sold the house, would we just take the money and go run and play with it? 
what would we probably do? Buy a different house with it. So it, it's for a roof. This is where a lot of people are not mature, to, mature enough to actually own a house. Because every time it goes up and there's equity in it, they refinance it and take the equity out of it and go spend it on stupid stuff. They should just be renters because they don't know how to deal with an asset. Now, does it, is it always better to own a house versus renting? Yes. No. No, it's not. No, because you've got to look at the money. I, when I took a, a financial planning course uh, over at COS, uh, the guy was a financial planner, and he actually rented. He gave a great story. He lived over in the Green Acres area, one of those really nice big houses, and the people, he knew the people that owned it, and they went to Europe. And, and they were going to be there like five years or something like that. He said, we don't want to, we don't want to sell a house because we want to come back to it, but we want somebody uh, living in it. Uh, so would you rent it from us for like $200 a month? It was like really cheap, whatever it was. So he was talking about, he says, I could not gain enough money on, a, on the purchase to offset how cheap I'm, getting, I'm able to rent. So you, you have to look at the cash flow. What most people do is look at the emotionalism. And uh, uh, so it, it, for me, it probably wouldn't work for Tammy. I would rather rent and buy a rental that I could rent to somebody else than buy a house and not have a rental. Why? Because the home I'm going to live in is a liability. The rental is a liability. But if I could create an asset, I could get enough of those. I could pay for a house that I could live in and not have to make the payment myself. I can use the, the rent's income. What am I talking about? Changing the way we think. So the rich buy assets, the poor only have expenses. The middle class buy liability, they think are assets. The poor and the middle class work for money. The rich have money work for them. To me, that's a powerful statement right there. Um, I would memorize that. Okay, read Luke 16 and 11. You want it in the Amplified? If it's not too long. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of earthly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Okay, so if, we're, if we don't handle mammon, if we don't handle regular money well, why would God increase us? Doesn't mean we can't increase. We can work under the world system and get an increase, but it's a lot easier with God's hand on it. But he's looking at how we handle things and what we do with money that comes in our hand. So we will get into uh, to this later, but everything within the kingdom of God is based on a heart issue. Luke 16, 11 deals with the heart and knowledge, what we're doing with what we have. All right, it's 835. Let me just finish off this slide. Uh, hell, as explained last week, is a kingdom system. It has rules of operation. We have been taught this in our life, and most people are operating according. Uh, here's the definition. Ralph Wood read one also. Kingdom, a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or a queen. A realm associated with or regarded as being under the control of a particular person. Um, and then there's uh, most Christians operate uh, in money based on health system called mammon, trying to uh, get kingdom results. Now, let me, um, uh, uh, Ralph or, or Felix, can you look at my PowerPoint and just go down to the slide that says what to do? I think it's, it's toward the end. Because I started to do this last time and I ran out of time. I'm running out of time again. Uh, I keep going down. Where to start? That's it right there. Okay, put it up right there. I, I started. I want to give you some homework, some things to do. Where do you start? Most people want to start. How do I make a bunch of money? Don't do that. You need to get your life in order. And uh, so my advice is get your end of life documents in order. Most people don't have this. 
Get your family safe. Take care of your family. Uh, a will, a living trust. If you own a home, you, it's probably going to make more sense to have a living trust. If you don't own a home, a will should be sufficient. But if you've got kids, how many here has either a will or a living trust? in, Or let's say don't have. How many don't have? Okay, so I'm going to pick on you, Andrew, all right, because you got little kids. Uh, I'm not confessing this. We, we live long. We live strong. But you and Nicole get in a car wreck and die. Jenny wants to take the kids and uh, raise them. A, a judge gets to, if you don't have a will. The judge gets to determine where they go. You may want Jenny to, Jenny may want to, but then you got Uncle Sammy Padunkas out here that uh, they want to all of a sudden, but it's like, I would never want my kids to be raised by them, but a judge gets to decide now. But with a will, this simple document, now you can show, if you have kids under 18, you should have a will for the just-in-case. Uh, you should have a health directive. A health directive is who do you want to make decisions if you can't make decisions? And you should have a power of attorney. A power of attorney gives you the ability to sign on behalf of your spouse. So if you have a, um, let's, let's say you have an expensive car, everything's going fine because somebody makes good money. Now all of a sudden they get in a wreck, they can't do it, and you got to get rid of the card because you can't afford the payment. But it's under the name of David and Tammy. And Tammy's in a coma, because I don't get in comas. And um, um, I, I can't sell the car. I cannot sell this car now because it says and, and she can't sign. Do you follow me? But if I have a power of attorney, that gives me the power for her signature when she can't sign. Okay, chill down. It was just an example. All right. Um, don't. Don't leave your family stranded. Get life insurance. So many people don't, people die. People young die. Um, and, and, and people don't think about this, that you've got to have life insurance in place. And uh, uh, people are, well, I can't afford it. You can't afford not to. Cut something else out in your living, uh, uh, in your living, uh, so that you can't afford it. Now, I am a licensed life insurance. I'm not trying to make a sale here, but I, I tell you, the, the difference between me and other people, you don't have to buy from me, but if you don't have life insurance, come talk to me. There's different things out there. I'm not going to take the time to go through them tonight, but there's term, there's whole life. Dave Ramsey, uh, Muriel, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to make a clarification on how important that is because when Brad passed, he gave mom a life insurance policy, though he wasn't very good at telling us where it was. Yeah, they had to do something. That's and you I gotta found have your papers it in, in over 500 papers, finally found one paper where he changed the, the checking account. And if he hadn't done that, my mom would be in a world of hurt right yeah. now. It, it matters, and people think lightly of it. Now, you might be too old, you can't get it now. But, um, you know, Dave Ramsey is a big advocate of term insurance. The thing that Dave Ramsey does not say is that two less than 2% of terms actually pay out. Insurance companies are very good at calculations of how long you will live, and less than two of them will pay out during the term. Uh, he's very much against uh, whole life insurance because it's expensive. Yes, it's very expensive, but it does last your whole life. It will go to age 121. So uh, I've got to end. Hang on a second. So I want to get through a couple things here. Uh, so I'm not going to go through each of these. The only thing I'll say is if you have your insurance through your job, you need to understand you do not own the insurance policy. 
you leave the job, the insurance policy goes away, you might not be healthy enough to get it, you should have a policy that is in your name. Uh, don't get the, the banking promos, accidental death and disability. I'll go over these in, in more uh, detail, detail uh, on that. But uh, I thought I had, is that the last slide? I thought I had one other thing. Uh, there should be one more. So that's the homework. Get your final papers in order. I can show you how to do it very cheaply. Just come in and talk, and I, I can show you. There's not, uh, um, the second thing is, uh, you got to get a clear picture of where you are financially. Uh, and that's where you got to sit down and be honest with yourself. Where's your money going? How much uh, income versus debt do you have? How much assets versus liabilities do you have? And develop a strategy of where you're going to go. Don't just jump into things. Let's all stand. Go ahead. What was the question? People die. And he said, he said, you never know. You never know. And that was very important. Yeah, protect your family. Yeah. Uh, people talk about how much they love their spouses, their family, their kids, and everything like that. And do you know that uh, uh, the average funeral, like a casket funeral in this area, is like ten to $12,000? Most people can't come up with a $500 emergency. How are you going to come up with ten to $12,000? Even if you do a cremate, the average is 3500 to 5000 in this area. And so uh, um, taking care of your family is very, very, very important. And then you need to find out where you are financially before you really start moving forward.